Welcome to Kingdom Family Talks with Leif Hetland. We invite you into the conversation and celebration of what God is doing around the world through his sons and daughters. Leif shares insights into what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's culture. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Well, good morning, everyone. This is Leif Hetland, and welcome to Kingdom Family Talk. And I am very excited to have my best friend, Greg Haswell, with me here. And uh, let me just share a little bit about Greg. Uh, I mentioned that he is my friend. I think it's been about seven, eight years ago that we connected in heart. And it was also during a time I just I was losing Todd, who had been with me for quite a few years. And then God replaced that deep, deep friendship. And then Michelle, he's married to Michelle. And uh, actually, they're originally from South Africa. They have a beautiful granddaughter, a daughter, and a son-in-law, and he is the lead pastor of Northland Church, as well as I, I, if I was going to describe the special sauce of Greg, I think he is a leader of leaders, one of the wisest people. Even right before this podcast, I just said, Greg, we need to talk. I, I need to make some wise decision. Not just right decision, but wise decision. And often Greg has been one of those key players in my life that that makes me greater than I am. So Greg, I am very grateful that you take this time and sharing some of your wisdom to a lot of our listeners. Well, thank you. So nice to be here, Leif, and so appreciate you and uh, so grateful to the Lord for this relationship and excited to be here today and hello to everybody. Yeah, and I, I just love your church. And I've often said to people, it is one of those churches. I mean, I know you have a core group of about 500 some people up there, but uh, but when I'm seeing the kind of the leaders that you have, and that is part of your church, you attract leaders, and you attract powerful people, you attract uh, world changers and history makers as part of that team. So uh, just tell me a little bit about you, Michelle, a little bit of your background, and then even what you're doing right now. Thank you. Yeah, we, we met when we were, we knew each other when we were eight years old, but we, our families separate, you know, we went in different places and we met again uh, on a camp for underprivileged children. That was our senior year of high school. And we were both leaders on a camp where we took underprivileged kids away. And we, uh, we, we kind of met, uh, started dating through our senior year of high school uh, and then uh, got married four years after that. So we were together for five years and, uh, just uh, something that we both felt the Lord had put together. Um, I had uh, just since I met Jesus, I, I couldn't conceive of another way to live but to serve Him full time. Went to Bible college, got my theological degree, started in a, a large church. Um, uh, you know, enjoyed it, loved the ministry, and. Uh, then we planted out of that church, started another church and just hit revival and God was just exploding the church. And then uh, in the middle of that, three years into that, uh, the Lord whispered to us to shift continents. And so it took us another three years to learn how to build away from ourselves. We had grown up in a mega church. I mean, the, the first church we were in seated 14,000 people on a Sunday and we were, our church had grown from about 60 people to over a thousand in the first three years. So we were, we were used to a mega church model and we were building that. Um, and, uh, you know, the bigger the church, the more strong the, the leadership has to be out front. And so typically you build towards a gifted individual in a mega church model. 
And uh, but when the Lord told us to shift continents, we we had to learn. Wow, this means we're not going to be here. And so we had to learn a different way of building. Instead of building towards ourselves, we had to build away from ourselves. And that took us about three years to train up other leaders and to and to give authority away and to release them to the call of God on their life. And um, and so that's that was our um, a real baptism of fire, if you like, in terms of learning a different way to do church government. And then we came here to the States and planted a church uh, in Atlanta and uh, and have grown the church from there. But when you have an apostolic understanding, when you, when you understand God's call, God usually sends his best. Paul and Barnabas are leaders in the church at Antioch and the Holy Spirit says, now release them to the thing I've got for them. And uh, in many, many churches today, we, we, we never even consider that the senior leadership would go. Uh, they're usually going to stay and, 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 you know, sort of dig in for the and, – and usually it's better if a leader stays longer because the church grows more. But we saw in an apostolic reality that God sends his best. He sent his word. He sent his son. He sent his spirit. Now he's sending the church. And when he sends people, he sends his best and – um, we had to learn a way to to build away from ourselves and to develop people around us. And so leadership training and recognizing other people's skill sets and giftings becomes a necessary part of this apostolic life. Um, so you see that in the life of Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas is called the son of encouragement who has rescued people. He sees who they are in the spirit and then sort of overcomes the current problems and keeps encouraging them until they begin to walk. And so you see Barnabas goes and finds Saul in Tarsus because the church has basically rejected Saul. They don't trust him. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, goes and finds him and says, I need you to come down to Antioch, help me lead the church, because Barnabas had been sent there by the apostles in Jerusalem. He gathers Paul, he encourages Paul. And so the scriptures is Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, and then uh, after a, a little while, it says Paul and Barnabas. And so uh, Paul finds his rhythm and finds his authority and finds his voice and then begins to, to take on more and more leadership. And that's perfect because that's who Barnabas was. So this idea of an apostolic lifestyle, when we commit to being the ones who go, uh, to being sent into the world, uh, it demands from us a recognition of others and a a desperate desire to train up leaders all around us so that we can release them into the call of God. I thought about that, at least you could help us with some clarity because I know there's a lot of confusion out there and, and you're yeah. using terms that, I mean, you talk about we're all supposed to be apostolic, which I totally agree with, meaning we're all sent out. We're all supposed to be prophetic. We're all supposed to be pastoral, and we're all supposed to be rooted in the Word of God, meaning that student of the Word of God, to study, to show ourselves approved. And we're all supposed to share the good news, evangelistic yeah. in nature. But some people have the gift, and then some people have the offices. And I know you have written a phenomenal book on leadership and connected that's part of your thing is to one of your many special sauces is to be able to put in place, uh, you can say fathers and mothers, that leadership that uh, that creates uh, health in the body of Christ. I thought about two, two things. One has to do with, if you can just explain a little bit about that, how do we create a culture where the whole body, in a sense, are being sent? 
we are apostolic, prophetic, pastoral, meaning a, you have an office in place where the giftings are flourishing, but also where every member of the body is, is healthy. So what will be some of the wisdom that, that, that you have learned in regard to that? Yeah, I think the, the, you know, the scriptures are very clear. We, in, we live in a new dispensation. In the old covenant, uh, the spirit of God came and abided with uh, a few people. He came upon prophets, priests, and kings. But, but the average person in Israel did not have access to the spirit of God. The closest they could get was on the Day of Atonement. They could stand outside the temple when the high priest went into the most holy place. But in the new covenant, one of the most profound and outstanding things is, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, right? That was the great declaration on the day of Pentecost. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. You know, um, the spirit of God poured out on all of God's people. And so this idea that I'm the anointed of God uh, you know, and the, the, the much quoted scripture, don't, you know, don't dishonor God's prophet, do my, do my prophets no wrong. Well, the, the, the scripture teaches that we're all of the anointed of God. Everybody who has come to faith in Jesus Christ now bears his, his anointing. And you can, you can cooperate with that anointing. You can, you can open your, yourself to constantly being filled with the spirit of God. But we're all God's favored. And so this idea that there is a significant clergy and laity, there are absolutely people, the ascension gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teachers who, who God has called to equip the rest of the church. But the whole church is supposed to be going. And this word apostolic just is, comes from the Greek word apostello, to send. Um, and so the, the Latin version of that is missio, which, which is, so we call them missionaries in some churches and apostles in others. But an apostle was a sent one, somebody who had been commanded to go and colonize, uh, bring heaven to earth. So in that sense, Jesus sent everybody. Jesus sent the church, go into all the world. He said, now, don't go before you've received the Holy Spirit. He actually forbade them to go and preach until they'd received the Holy Spirit. But when, he said, when the Spirit comes on you, you all, you collectively, you in a group, will be my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth. So this call that the church is to go uh, is a call to an apostolic lifestyle. And that's what I mean by that. Yeah. That's, right. that's very good. I also want you to talk a little bit about how do you navigate, because I know we have walked very closely, usually for people that are watching or listening. When, when I'm in town and people often ask me what I do and what I do for fun and everything else. But one of the things that I do value and I'm making sure I prioritize is to call Greg. We usually end up, we have a favorite restaurant together, Houston, and we sit down there and we do just do life. And my wife can, can say when I'm coming home, she said, you've been with Greg. And it's almost like she can see this iron sharpens irons that when we are together is just that there's a lot of life in it. And some of the yeah. things I've learned in these last couple of years is the way you've been navigating everything from Black Lives Matter to the, the whole political climate. Both you and I, we are foreigners to, to some degree in this country. You're from South Africa. I'm Norwegian. So. So we maybe do not have the same tradition that somebody have to defend in regard to generational uh, things. So anyway, I just wanted to hear some of your wisdom because there's a shaking going on. Uh, we see it politically speaking. We see it 
the, the shift and changes going on in every aspect, including the horrific things we're seeing between Ukraine and uh, yeah, and, and Russia. So how are we going to help people and how do you help people, including yourself and Michelle? How do we navigate ourselves well and stay healthy and especially emotionally and spiritually in the middle of everything that's going on? Yeah, I think... You know, these, these past years have been tough on everybody. It doesn't matter where you've been in the world. There's been challenges coming at people, and there's been a lot of emotional outbursts from people uh, and a lot of people feeling insecure in their lives. And when they do, when, they, when, they, when they're feeling desperate or feeling fearful, they're looking for leaders. And uh, typically there's two types of things, the people who are confident and the people who give hope, they will typically end up leading in any given situation, the, the confident and the hopeful. And so the one who leads with hope will lead in this, in this time. So the, the problem is some people's confidence springs from their own, you know, trust in their own abilities. Some people's confidence, uh, you know, or their, their manner springs from their desire to manipulate the church. But the confidence I'm talking about is that confidence that has come from the secret place, that you've been with your father, you've heard his voice, he's oriented you, he's aligned your spirit. And when you step out of that place, there's a confidence. This is the way we go. Jesus said, I only do what I've seen my father doing. And I only say what I've heard him say. And uh, a few years back, I felt the Lord challenged me to, to say, you know, son, you've, you've done well. You've listened to my voice. You've learned how to listen. I want you to learn how to see now. I want you to learn to watch what your father is doing and then do that. Because Jesus said, I only do what I've seen. I only say what I've heard. So for me, the getting into the secret place, hearing from my father, seeing where God is putting his hand where he's moving, and then following that, doing the same things. Um, inevitably, for me, the guiding principle is the kingdom of our God. I am, I am an ambassador for Jesus Christ. I am called to bring the kingdom of heaven to this earth. It is my responsibility. So uh, the kingdom is a defining factor for me. Does this, does this aid the kingdom of God or does this hurt the kingdom of God? So typically for me, I'm more focused on the kingdom than on current events. Mm. And so when I'm in the middle of a current event, I'm always asking, Father, what are you doing? Where are you going? What are you saying? And that's what I try and keep in front of people because I want my confidence to spring from that source. I am sourced uh, by my Father who's whispering to me, this is the way, walk in it. And so I find that the more I can be that person, which, which then obviously means that it, it all flows out of my intimacy with Jesus. So the secret is in the secret place, as Heidi often says. That is absolutely the truth. Let's go to the secret place if we're going to be leaders who we want people to emulate. Let's go to the secret place, gather up a wisdom from Father, and walk out into our world and say, follow me. This is the way. And that confidence brings life to people. And then hope. Uh, because the scripture says we're supposed to overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't overflow with hope because my circumstances are perfect or because the world is happy. I overflow with hope by an internal reality, by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So I'm full of hope all the time. 
And I think that's the two things for me that seems to work. I've just absolutely uh, set my heart. I'm here for the kingdom. And if this benefits the kingdom, I'm in. If it doesn't, I'm out. And so a lot of people have been involved in a lot of the political things here in the States. And a lot of people have been fighting back and forth about COVID and, you know, should we wear masks? Shouldn't we wear masks? Should we vaccine? I'm going, look, I think those are disputable matters that you should decide for yourself and you're responsible for your peace before God. What I'm interested in is what is the Father doing right now? And inevitably, as you, as I've learned so much from you, inevitably, if I don't know what to do, the best possible thing I can do is love people. Because the Bible says, if you live in love, you live in God. And so that's for me the, the thing. Inevitably, it boils down to, what is the most loving thing I could do right now? And that's where God will be. So that's kind of just some overview for me. And I know that you're married to a prophet and, uh, and she's maybe not the one that you will see on internet that goes in and predicts, but I, I have such a respect for Michelle, yeah. just from that quietness that she get in a secret place. And so what value does that have to you in a sense? You're very apostolic, but then you're married to somebody that hears his voice and, and can navigate. So help me to for people to get to know yeah. a little bit Michelle and that gift or the office of, of a prophet that she operates in. And because she is a heart prophet is what I call her, yeah. motivated from love. Uh, the lion in her comes from the lamb's heart. And that's the difference because there's two different prophets in this season. One of them, you have these lions that roar and people scatter. They're producing fear and they're fear-based. The other one is grace-based and love-based that Michelle comes from. So if you can help us, especially with a lot of voices that is out there, there's yeah. there are two different lions roaring, but one is bringing unity and gathering the people behind the true lion, which is Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the other lions is actually just creating division and fear and anxiety among people. Yeah. Oh, it's a delight to be married to a prophet because uh, for me, I, I, prophets are the, the seers and it's like having a, a, a massive headlamp. Uh, you know, you're in a dark night and there's a lot of mist and fog and you can't see very quickly. You have to go very slowly. But if you have these massive lamps that shine into the, into the you know, and they can see ahead, you can see for hundreds of yards in every direction. You can travel at, at, you know, at a great speed because nothing can harm you. And so for me, I love being surrounded. I love being married to a prophet. I love being surrounded by prophets because they see things and they, they warn you of things to come and they, and they catch the Lord's heart. And it just allows you to travel with much more confidence and much more speed. Um, Michelle has uh, been one of those people that uh, it's been astounding to me. She, she's, I, my favorite story, we were up at a church here in the States and she got up and she said, uh, I was, they asked me to minister. And I said, look, do you mind if my wife just brings, she's got a word for the church. And they said, sure. And so she got up and she read four verses and she said, "These, I feel like the Lord says this is for this church. And then she said, and this is what I believe the Lord is saying to you. And she 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 starts telling them what the Lord's will of over the church is. And the pastor jumps up and runs up on stage and says, I'm sorry, I've got to stop you. And he takes the microphone from her. And I was like worried. And he said to the church, what you don't know is this past Tuesday, the eldership met and we've been working for three months to get the mission statement of this church. And we just finalized it on Tuesday. And he said, Michelle has just quoted our mission statement, our new mission statement, which nobody knows. She's just quoted it word perfect. And the four verses the Lord gave us to confirm that were the four verses she just read. So the, 
the awe of God hits the church, right? So suddenly everybody suddenly realizes, wow, God is in this place and God has a purpose. And so suddenly people are diving, like getting out their pens and like, wait, wait, read that again, say that again. You know, it just it just <laughs> brought to me. And I've seen that I don't know how many times since we were in, in Denmark and she she did the same, she said, This is what the Lord's saying to the church. And they got all excited and they said, Look, you know, that's our mission statement's up on the wall, but it was in Danish and we didn't read Danish. So uh, I've seen that thing happen. Um, so Michelle's real focus is especially with with nations and with churches. She she talks into the government of the church, which is what I think the New Testament, Paul said in Colossians, that the apostles and prophets deal with the foundations, right? So I've seen her speak into this is the, the purpose of God. This is what the Lord is saying for this church. I've seen her do that a lot. And I love the fact that she's clear about which covenant she's in. Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets. Uh, and he said the law and the prophets prophesied together until John. In other words, the old covenant prophets were in a dispensation of the law, which, which was a season that God put the law in charge. Uh, the scripture clearly says in Galatians, God put the law in charge as a school teacher to teach simple lessons until the seed that was promised to Abraham would come. And so the law and the prophets worked together. They were part of a dispensational package. Uh, but when Jesus came, the law you know, was no longer necessary, and that old covenant style of prophecy was no longer valid. So John the Baptist is the one who's, if you study John's sermons, he's rebuking people. You better shine up your ugly things. He's saying the axe is laid to the root of the tree. God's going to judge you if you don't repent. And God, you know, they go, he says, don't even dare say we're children of Abraham. God can raise up children from these stones. So John is full of rebuke and anger because under the law, all the law was designed to do was to show you how far short you'd fallen from the glory of God. And the prophets prophesied in line with the law. But the scripture says in Hebrews, in these last days, in this dispensation, God spoke to us many and varied times through the prophets. He says, but in these last days, he speaks to us through his son, which John says, Jesus came full of grace and truth. So a, a new covenant prophet has to partner with this gospel of Jesus Christ, which is beautiful. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is full of good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ declares that you were washed clean. In theology, it's called expiation. It says that you were redeemed. You were bought back from every form of slavery you sold yourself into. In theology, we call it redemption. That all the wrath of God against all of your sin was completely absorbed. In theology, we call it propitiation. You were declared eternally just in the, in the sight of God. In theology, we call it justification. You were made holy in his sight, which is what Paul says. Uh, and uh, in theology, we call that sanctification. Uh, you were brought very near to God. The distance that your sin had driven you was eradicated. You were brought very near. In theology, we call that, uh, you know, uh, uh, oh, I've forgotten how it's called. Just look that in my head. Uh, uh, you were brought very near. And, and um, then lastly, you, you were regenerated. That old you that used to be dead and, and an object of wrath is made brand new, as Paul says, you've become a new creation. So when this, the scripture says in Corinthians that, that when you were born again, 
the Holy Spirit baptized you into the body of Christ. So 1 Corinthians 12 says, by one spirit, you were baptized into one body. So this idea that uh, the Holy Spirit is the one doing the baptizing, he took you and he submerged you. What he baptized you into was the body of Christ. And then the scripture says you were sealed in Christ. You were sealed in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So when you put your faith in Jesus, you were pushed, you, you were submerged into the body of Christ and you were sealed in Christ. So now when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, he never speaks to you as though you're outside of Christ. He only ever speaks to you in Christ. So when a new, a new covenant prophet wants to prophesy, they're supposed to prophesy in line with this gospel. And when I prophesy over people who are believers, they are in Christ. And so there is a whole bunch of things that are their inheritance because they're in Christ. So one of the things, obviously, Romans 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. So uh, many times I, I will see a prophet who wants to preach doom and gloom and anger and wrath and judgment. And I go, you're about 2,000 years too late. You should have done that a while back. Right now, we're not in the dispensation of bad news. We're in the dispensation of good news. And uh, we're preaching the, and proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Paul put it this way. He said, uh, we, we're ambassadors, right? And we're supposed to proclaim Christ. And he said, this is the message that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself. And he has committed to us that same message of reconciliation, that God was in his son not counting men's sins against them. That's the message of reconciliation. Um, and he, he gave us the same message. We've believed for so long that it's the responsibility of the church to run out and tell the world where, where they're sinning. And it's not the responsibility of the church to tell the world how they're sinning. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will do a perfectly adequate job of that. The Holy Spirit is incredibly faithful to do what Jesus said. And Jesus said he'll convict the world with regard to the sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit's faithful to do that. He said what the church needs to do is go and preach good news. So I think for me, watching uh, prophets who, who get up and are partnering with the Spirit of God, partnering with the message of reconciliation, you can easily hear that in what they're saying. Uh, prophets who partner with, you've fallen short, you uh, are displeasing to God, I'm not sure are, are acting in the right dispensation. That was a lot of good wisdom. Yeah, I'm sorry. I went on. No, that's good. For the people, for the people that know my three-chair message, that I think probably 80%, 90% out there, he's just describing the difference yeah. between a chair one prophet and a chair two prophet. One is love-based yeah. and the other one is fear-based. One is grace-based. Yeah. One is operating by the law of love. The other one is the love of law. And it's just, he yeah. mentioned the two different covenants that is here. And especially as it's saying, uh, what I love about you is also the whole grace-based way of, of looking at things. And it's, uh, it, 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 I know both you and I've had such a transformation when we didn't have the, I say the wrestling match in regard to, am I a chicken or an eagle uh, in a sense? Yeah. So that 
when, when I, I used to be a chicken, but now I'm an eagle in a sense, but there is no mixture in those nature. The old was passed away. Something has become new. So it's just knowing the new nature of who you are in Christ and who Christ is in you and that you are in him and he is in you and the oneness that you have with him. It's just, it, it totally transformed my life because I went so much back and forth when I mixed covenants and was not. Yeah. Uh, but how, how would you even say to people that, again, because, of course, the Old Testament, all scriptures is inspired. How would you just yeah. even helping people to see the value of the old covenant and then how this new covenant then is fulfilling, completing the old one? So, because I know yeah. there's a lot of people of wrestling with, they're still using a lot of scripture passages in the old that definitely is contrary to the new because Jesus yeah. came to fulfill certain things. He took, took, took our sins so that we could receive his righteousness. Yeah. There's so much. Yeah. I love, uh, there are, there were seven redemptive covenants that God made on the earth uh, after the fall of man. Uh, all of those covenants are a reflection of an eternal covenant that God made before time began. And so uh, the, the covenant that was made in eternity by the Godhead between themselves, man is the beneficiary of that covenant, but none of us existed. The father said to Jesus, would you like to, I'd like to create a bride for you. And Jesus said, I'd love that. And the father said, well, you're going to have to create it because uh, you're going to have to live with her for eternity. And um, when they when discussing, they said, well, if we make men in our image, they're likely to have free will. And then what? And then Jesus said, I'll tell you what, it's likely that they'll sin. But I promise you, Father, I will go and pay. If I create them and they sin, I'll pay for every sin my creation accomplishes. And so the father said, wow, if you'll do that, Jesus, this is what I promise you. I promise you, if you'll lay down your life for them, I, I promise you, you won't see decay. I'll, I'll resurrect you. And, uh, and, and then if you do that, I swear this to you, I'll make you the high priest who represents them to me for all, for all eternity. And so uh, that's what Hebrews mentions, that Jesus was appointed by God to be the high priest before the foundation of the world. Uh, so Paul says, this grace was given to me before time began. Revelation says Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So that covenant was cut in eternity. And the Holy Spirit said, Jesus, if you'll die to to wash their sins, I promise I'll go and indwell them to, to draw them back to you. So that covenant was cut and sealed long before anything else happened. And then Jesus turned around and said, let there be light and began to create. And so uh, mankind then sins, but it wasn't a shock to God. This had already been perfectly organized. But God begins to make covenants with different people. He makes a covenant with Noah. He makes a covenant with Abraham. He, you know, he makes a covenant with the nation of Israel. He makes a covenant with David. And then comes the new covenant. All of these covenants are a reflection. They reveal a little bit, a little aspect of the truth of the eternal covenant. So it's helpful for people to understand this because otherwise you get caught in the wrong covenant and you miss out on what God's doing right now today. But this new covenant that we're in is a profound thing. Jeremiah 31, 31 says, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I brought them out of Egypt, uh, says the Lord. No, this time I'm going to write my law in their hearts and put it in their minds and, and, and so on. So God found fault with the old covenant, Paul says, because the old covenant required a sinful nature. 
it partnered with sinful man. And so it says, here's the standard, now you behave. And sinful man could never maintain that behavior standard. So it says what, um, what the law was powerless to do, this is Galatians, what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature. God did by sending his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those from out from under the law. Um, the new covenant was not based on my performance, but on the performance of Jesus. And when, when uh, John the Baptist was the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets, because all the other prophets were saying, the Lamb is going to come, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. And John the Baptist said, he is here. There he is. That's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And when he said that, Jesus is baptized and the Father says, I accept this Lamb. Basically, he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And when you came to offer at the temple, to the Old Testament, you'd bring a, a lamb and the priest wouldn't inspect the offerer. They, he would inspect the lamb. If the lamb that you had brought was perfect and spotless, then he would accept the lamb on your behalf. And then you would lay your hands and that and your sin was imputed to the spotless lamb and the lamb would be sacrificed. When John said, there is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, the father said, I'm well pleased with this lamb. He accepted this lamb as a substitute offering for all mankind. So um, I come to Jesus, not on the basis of my own works, but on the basis of the finished work of Jesus. And when I put my faith in that finished work, I'm included in Christ. Uh, and now I have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, right? So, so this beauty of me being in Christ is profound. So um I love this idea of being in a new covenant and being out of an old covenant. Um, but that means uh, when Paul writes the scriptures in Corinthians 10, for example, he says, these things were written down as examples for us. Second uh, Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God breathed and useful for preaching and teaching and correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly developed. So I embrace all of the scripture. I learn from all of it. I study all of it, meditate on all of it, ask the Holy Spirit about all of it. But the new covenant that I'm in is the covenant that I'm supposed to function within. There's a lot, every part of the scripture is useful to my life, but it's only the new covenant that I'm supposed to live in right now. So, uh, Every aspect of every other covenant that had anything eternal in it was a whisper about Jesus who came. So, for example, the, the, uh, in, the, in the covenant that God made with Abraham, circumcision was the sign of the covenant. And so the scripture says, those of us who are in, which he said, it's going to be, a, it's going to be an eternal sign. But when the Bible says, when you came into Christ, you were circumcised, not by the hands of men, but with a circumcision that was done by Christ himself, when he cut away the old sinful you and, and separated it from you. So circumcision is the eternal sign, but it's found its fullness in Jesus. Uh, the, the Sabbath was the covenant sign of God's covenant with Israel. And so the scripture says, Hebrews 4, there remains now a Sabbath rest for God's people because anyone who enters rest ceases from their own works. And, and the reason that the old covenant couldn't enter this rest 
is because they didn't combine the message they heard with faith. But to us who believe, we enter into rest. And that's the eternal sign. So uh, I know I'm going into too much detail, but the point here is that when we live in this new covenant, what we discover is God writes by his spirit in our hearts and in our minds an internal uh, power. Um, and that's what the Bible says. God, he, he causes his love to overflow in our hearts. The love of God is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So this profound beauty of living from the Holy Spirit's guidance. And that's why Paul says, if you're going to be led by the Spirit of God, you're going to be a grown-up child of God. You're going to be one of the mature sons of God. So I love this, this glorious freedom, but it's not a freedom to indulge my sinful nature. It's a freedom to follow the Lordship of the Holy Spirit. And Amen. it's just a beautiful season to be alive. You seem like you're an optimist. You seem like you're full of hope. <laughs> There's something in mean, this is pretty I'm, contagious. I'm you, you believe you, you seem like you believe in the good news instead of the bad news. Absolutely. So you, the gospel for, is still the good news. <laughs> for years, I preached bad news and good advice, and I called it good news. <laughs> I used to preach bad news. You know, if somebody if somebody was sinning, I'd say, you know what, God hates sin, and you're you've sinned, and that's pretty plain, and <laughs> uh, and that's just horrible, and you know, God's angry with you. And if you don't, if you don't turn, you're gonna burn. And and so here's some good advice: repent, stop doing that, and behave. And I called that the good news. Okay. And uh, we're actually to somebody who's who's caught in the sin. The good news is Jesus died, so you could be completely free from this sin. And if you will turn, you're gonna find great freedom. That's good news. Good news to somebody who's struggling financially is not, you know what, it's probably because there's something wrong in your life and we're going to inspect that, but but here's some good advice. Now, work harder, spend less. That's bad news and good advice. The good news is you have a father who loves to go ahead of you to provide. He loves while you're walking up this side of the mountain to send the ram up the other side of the mountain, to be caught in a thicket, to be in the place when you get there, the provision of God has already been made. That's the God we serve. That's good news. So it's been my joy. I used to preach bad news and good advice. Now I just preach good news. And this is what people told me, Leif. They said, if you preach this gospel, you know what's going to happen? People are going to just run out and sin. They're going to lose all restraint. You know what I found? When you preach the good news of Jesus Christ, people run to Jesus. Their devotion for Jesus explodes. They cling to Jesus. They put away sin. They say, no, he's so beautiful. I love this God. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's, we, we've had people say, I feel like I've been born again, again, that first love for Jesus when they understood the goodness. And that's exactly what Romans says. It's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. Hmm. Um, so we've tried it for 2,000 years, trying to berate people and shout at people and be angry with people. I think it's time to, to try what Jesus told us to preach. Go out and preach this good news, this gospel to all people. Hmm. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Just a quick question. I know we, I'm kind of a changing little subject here. Papa Jack, I know you got to know him in the last few years yeah. and everything else. What would be some of the, if, if there was a life lesson you got from Papa Jack, what would be? What would that be, just of the life that he lived and 
Such a great question. Papa Jack was just such a delightful man. Uh, I want to be like Papa Jack when I get to his age. Uh, What a a gracious, humble father to the church. Um, What a man who did not need to grab for position, but made himself low and then watched God elevate him. I absolutely loved that about Papa Jack. He was unassuming. He wasn't driven by selfish ambition, but he had a strong drive in his heart. I'm going to serve my king. I want to benefit this kingdom. And I absolutely loved that about him. I learned so much from him. Um, I loved being with him. He was just an honor. You know, one of my great regrets is that I didn't spend more time with him as his time got short. I wished I had spent more time with him. But I learned from him this wholehearted devotion to the king and his kingdom. And I loved that about him. It's my best. Any lessons, any lessons you have learned from me as a friend in the last seven years? I think seven, eight I, years. <laughs> I don't have enough time. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've, learned, I've learned a few things. One is life, love, uh, love never fails. It's what Corinthians says. And I, uh, I've watched you love people when it was convenient and when it was inconvenient. I've watched you sacrifice because that's what uh, you, you always say, honor is what love looks like. But love also looks like being patient and being kind and not boasting and not keeping a record of wrongs. And I've seen you deliberately do those things. I've seen you walk in love. Uh, when you're most exhausted, when you come back and, you, and you've given everything you've got and your body's sore and people are shouting at you and you know it's inconvenient, I've seen you be loving. And I can think of nothing better because that's what Jesus said. This is how you'll know. Uh, Jesus said, don't judge it by its manifestation, judge it by its fruit. And the first fruit of the spirit is love. So I'm going, when I've, when I've watched you, I've learned to love people and that love is the most beautiful way. Because that's what Paul said, I'll show you the most excellent way. Um, and uh, I've learned that from you. I love that about you. I love the way you steward um, both the favor of God on your life and the glory of God, I've watched you be deliberate about that. Uh, I've watched you many, many times direct your life, restrain yourself, pull away from certain things because you're aware of the dove on your shoulder and you don't want to cause him any grievance. And I've watched you do that many, many times. And I've really, on, I want to honor that. I love that about you. And I suspect that's partly because, because that's the way you, you've oriented your heart consistently. As long as I've known you, I've always loved that about you. Um, and I think it's because of that, the favor of God is, is, is on you in unprecedented ways. There's uncommon favor on you and your ministry. And I love watching that. And I, watch, I love watching you steward that favor and say, Lord, what is it that you want? So I would say those are some of the things that just come to mind easily. Thank you so much, my friend. If there's some advice or wisdom that you could give some of the people that are out there, uh, especially I think that in this season of uh, battle fatigue, uh, we're just sensing the emotional tank is low. 
there's a lot of uncertainties and I'm, I actually have the honor of speaking at your church and I'm going to actually talk about this subject myself. Something yeah. that I'm trying to do is to navigate ourselves. I mean, a lot of people have had a Friday moment, but Sunday has not yet come and they have a two, two year Saturday or they are in the middle of they walking through the valley of shadow of death, but they have not got to the other side. And even sometimes struggling, they feel they walk alone and the Lord is not there in the middle of the one. He says, I'm your shepherd. So I know this middle of the shaking, there's a lot of things being exposed. So I know people are tired. People are weary uh, from the gas pump to inflations to and the list just goes on and on and on. And people also a lot of disappointment as they're looking in the past mirror. So how do we keep our heart pure and how do we keep our love on and how do we love well? How do we stand firm and love well? That probably would be, and speak the truth in love. We still want to be people full of truth because knowing the truth sets us free, but we want to do it in love, baptized in love. So, uh, because I do appreciate your wisdom, but just to help the average person out there, how do we yeah. represent the Father in such a way that the world gets to see how good He is and how loved they are in the middle of yeah. all the chaos? Yeah. Well, I, I think uh, for me, uh, uh, the secret is in the secret place that the, the first order of business is to separate yourself. If Jesus had to withdraw often to lonely places and pray, then you and I are going to need to do the same thing, to withdraw yourself to the lonely places where you will discover you're never lonely because God himself comes to visit with you. And, um, you know, sometimes people say, but I've, I've tried that and nothing's happening. I would just say, go and find yourself a place and make it a consistent priority to wait on the Lord, read his word, listen to some worship music. Uh, what I love to do is journal and, and the Lord speaks to me that way. Uh, whatever way works for you. There's no right or wrong way. There's just what, what works in your relationship with Jesus. But as, uh, as I can spend time like that, uh, whether I feel it in the moment or not, when I come out of that place, it's almost like I've been oiled up. You know, there's oil. Uh, my tanks have been filled with oil. I can go through the day. Even if it's a dark night, I've got enough oil for my lamp to light the way so I can see where I'm going. And um, if I don't do that, the, you know, the lights can go dim. Uh, Jesus said, you know, because of the harshness of those days, the love of most will grow cold. And I've just decided I don't want to be part of that statistic. I want to be somebody whose heart doesn't grow cold. So there's a, there's the, the, the best thing I can do is it's the same thing David said, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. I call it as my heart grows faint. That's what David said. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I. So I, I'm constantly trying to find a place. Lord, where can I go to be with you? And because I need help. I need courage. I need wisdom. I need perspective. I need, um, I need you to fill me up with what, what this proverb says, like an apple of gold in a setting of silver or apt words spoken in season. I need you to fill me up with apt words. I need you to give me the word that sustains the weary, which is what Jesus, the scripture says, you know, he, that's where you go. But I need to go and be with the Lord. I go, Lord, could you give me words? 
for the 20 people today that I'm going to meet that are weary, could you give me the word so I can give it to them? Could you give me the apples of gold and settings of silver so I can just give that right thing at the right moment? Could you, could you fill me with courage? Could you stir my heart? Could you give me perspective? Would you give me your mind? Would you show me your, your perspective? Would you fill my tank, Holy Spirit, with your love? So uh, th that's the best thing I, I know to do. I don't think that wisdom can be found uh, in a lot of places. And the only wisdom that can be found out there is from somebody who's been in there and come out with that wisdom. So I'm not looking out there for a lot of wisdom. Um, I go into the secret place. And what I hear in the secret place when I come out, if I hear somebody else saying that, I'll join with them. Um, because I know they've been in the secret place. They've heard the same thing I've heard. And uh, it, it doesn't have to be spectacular. It just has to be regular that you yeah. go and be with the Lord. And I, I think for me, that's the best possible thing we can do. Uh, I think this has been a season in my own life where the Lord said to me at the beginning of uh, last year, he said, uh, I don't want, this is not the season to be giving answers. This is the season to be asking the questions. This is not the season to step up. This is the season to make yourself low. This is not the season to, to be loud. This is the season to be quiet, to ask, to seek, to say, Lord, would you help me? And I think that the, 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 the church has been in a need to, there's been a, uh, just a redirection from the Lord, a, a refitting, if you like, of the church. And I think everybody who's been open to that have, have pulled back a little and gone into the secret place to find what the, what the will of the Lord is. We'll come out with clear vision. Um, but I think uh, for me, uh, the, the, the last 10, 15 things the Lord has told you are the things that are going to sustain you. So I would just, I would just encourage everybody. You know, you, you have a father who, who longs for you. The scripture says the spirit of God longs for you with jealousy. He, he longs to be with you. And he is the most faithful person in the universe. So what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do, he's absolutely going to do. He will comfort you. He will guide you. He will counsel you. He'll encourage you. He'll fill you with hope. He'll pour the love of Jesus into you. He'll set the fruit of God in your life. He'll overflow you with gifts. Your life will abound. Um, so for me, I just want to say to you, if you're listening and you're feeling tired and down, I'm telling you by the authority of the Spirit of God that He has set up appointments for you and He wants to meet with you and He will meet with you. The glory of God will visit with you if you set your heart this way. You'll see. I'm excited about that. Greg, I want you to pray over the people and, and especially also, I think also if we can remember the orphans and the widows, both in Russia and yeah. in Ukraine, both all these young boys from, from Russia that is dying and the orphans that is left, the mamas, the boys are not coming home, as well as, of course, the Ukrainians, that what they are going through and the horrific evil that is being done in that country and the chaos that's going on. I just... Uh, I just had a Zoom call with the key leadership in Ukraine on Friday, and 
talk to the pastors of the biggest churches and the ministries and just uh, felt even compelled to pray, especially for the orphan heart of Putin, that he will have a major encounter with Jesus that will transform him. And because I was saying there's so much darkness and I was thinking about his own father. He was in 1942 when he got severely wounded and even there, the, the father wounds that he grew up with, with a dysfunctional father, as well as the mother pretty much starved to death. But realizing that there is a reason Putin has become what he is today, not for an excuse, but for us to pray into that and for him to be able to meet Papa God and, and be changed and transformed by this, this good news, this gospel. So he will stop the evil and the demonic ways that he's operating. So I'm just sensing that we need to intercede in this season. And But I know you have a heart for orphans and widows both in Ukraine as well as in Russia and other parts of the world as a result of this horrific evil. So do you mind just yeah. praying for us, but also let's remember Ukraine. Uh, love and, and I, you know, I think that in addition, because of my work with World Without Orphans, uh, uh, it took, uh, uh, there, there, are, there are over 5 million orphans created by COVID. And uh, when, to, to give you an example, when AIDS hit the world, it took 10 years for there to be 5 million orphans from AIDS. It took two years for there to be 5 million orphans from COVID. So uh, there's just a burden right now for, for you know, single moms and their, and their children. And we just got to cry out to the Lord. Let's pray together and uh, let's just agree. I, I, I never, we never reach out our hands and touch anything and expect nothing to happen. We're, we're full of faith. So let's, let's come together. Father, in Jesus' name, we just want to lift up Ukraine and President Zelensky and the, 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 the leaders of that nation. Would you watch over them? Father, keep them keep them safe, Lord. Do a miracle. Keep them, Father, and watch over them. And, Lord, we, we, we call for, for a clarity to come on the leadership in that nation. We call, Lord, for a turnaround of the violence and the, and the, the terrible things that are happening. Uh, Lord, mostly we call out for single moms and for, for orphans, Lord. Would you do a miracle, Lord? Would you turn the hearts of the world towards this nation? Would you make a way, Lord? Would you do it again? Uh, Father, I know Ukraine was the first country in the world to empty the orphanages into the church. Uh, some years back. And Father, you did a beautiful work here for the orphans in that nation. Do it again, Father, I pray. A supernatural breakthrough, Lord, for the orphans of that country. Restore homes, Lord. Restore family. Pour forth life, Lord, into this nation. Give them courage. Give them wisdom. Give them clarity. And supernaturally, Lord, we're asking that you would intervene in the circumstances going on. And I pray, Lord, that you would bring deliverance. We pray, Lord, for Putin. As Leif said, Lord, stir his heart and break that orphan spirit on him, Lord, and, and draw his heart, Lord. Your word says you can control the heart of the king. So we pray that you begin to steer his heart, Lord, towards the purposes that you've set aside for him. Father, we lift up this nation and we call on you. Our hearts go out, Lord, to the people who are broken by this. And Father, we pray that you would pour comfort to them and give us ears to hear, Lord, what our responsibilities are in this moment of time. Father, lift up the orphans of the world. Open a way for them, Lord, as your word says, that you set the lonely in families. Lord, open up families all over the world. Open up your heart of your church, Lord, all over the world. 
to invite young people into their homes to save their lives, Lord. So, Father, I thank you for this. I bless you for it in Jesus' name. Father, I speak your peace and your blessing and your, your continued favor over life and his ministry and the family around the world. Father, I pray for those who are listening right now, whose hearts, Lord, are stirred and say, Lord, Lord, what about me? And I pray, Lord, especially for those who've been lonely, especially for those who felt the most isolated. I'm asking, Lord, for supernatural encounters. Holy Spirit, would you would you explode in their hearts? Would you transform lives, Lord, out of this moment? Because you're just that good and that kind. We bless and release peace to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, my friend. And so always a pleasure. A couple of days to just hang out again. So that's going to be wonderful. <laughs> I just want to encourage everyone that is watching also share this with somebody and bring this up because I think this is just life giving. It is good news in the middle of a lot of the bad news that's going on. And I think there's a lot of gold nuggets for people even as they're just stewarding this conversation that we have had right now. So I encourage you, if you take, take this and find a couple of friends and send it to them, and, and perhaps this can be the very things that they need to be able to be overcomers in the middle of everything that's going on. Love you guys, and I'm excited to connect with you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can follow Leif on social media at Leif Hetland. And sign up for our weekly newsletter at globalmissionawareness.com.